0: everybody and welcome back to another episode of what's in your hometown where it's just me and Jules trying Mm -hmm. to scare each other we're trying to outdo each other
1: (laughs) we are I don't think it's gonna work this episode I've got one that's kind of funny but yeah in like the most horrifying way
0: (laughs) I love those stories I'm so excited yeah no I'm excited about yours we're doing doing crazy crime this time, which it's been a very long time, it feels like, since we've done a crime episode.
1: It feels like it has been.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, don't worry, we got a good old murder ep for you.
1: <laughs> murder ep. Well, Jules, what's in your backyard? It is cold as shit. Oh my <laughs> god. Okay, sorry. Remember like a couple episodes ago when we were like, yeah, it's February and it's all... Warm and it's like seventy eight degrees and sunny. It's great. And the world's ending. So right now it's May twelfth. Okay. There's a freeze advisory outside. It has been snowing all week. We're not. Do- it's gonna be like ninety by the end of the week, but it like half my plants are dead. I'm very upset about this. You spent so long on those plants though. I did. Okay, but like. <laughs> It's almost May 15th, which means it's almost time to put my remaining plants in the ground, which I'm very excited about. So that'll Aww. be nice. That'll be fun. Uh, not everything died. I impulse bought uh, an entire tree. <laughs> <laughs> um, And I, I don't know what plans I had when I decided to buy a tree. <laughs> to
0: buy a tree? I bought what
1: kind a tree, of tree. A ginkgo tree. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's a tree. It's a hole. like, it's going to grow to be very tall. It's a tree. (laughs) And I don't know what I'm doing with it.
0: I thought you would buy, like, a fruit tree or something that you could use later on. I wanted
1: to. I did. I wanted, like, an apple tree or something. But I found a ginkgo tree for $13, and I was like, need it. $13
0: $13 so, isn't bad. No, it's uh, not.
1: It was perfectly good. Uh, good enough for me to buy it, at least. So now I, her name is Charlie. She's sitting in
0: my room <laughs> until I figure out what to do with her. I've, I've been playing The Witcher. It's such a good game. A I've decided that game. people who made The Witcher game needs to make Game of Thrones, like a Game of Thrones game, but based on the books instead of the show. But here's the thing. When it gets to that last little bit, they just refilmed like, the last three episodes as cut scenes with the original actors, and that way John actually does get to kill the Night King, and we're all satisfied. Okay, and that's what needs to happen.
1: You know, I, I, I don't see in the universe. I don't see any fault with your plan. I think that that's a wonderful <laughs> idea. Uh. I would like to play that game. I think that would it, be really fun.
0: It would fix so much. Yeah, <laughs>
1: just I would actually enjoy going back to watch Game of Thrones at that point. Right? Like it's amazing that that had a, almost a complete stranglehold on every pop culture reference for ten years. It really?
0: Did and now and it's then they just ended it gone. Like
1: that it's gone. I, I still reference fucking Futurama about every fifth <laughs> sentence. And something like Game of Thrones is
0: just vanished. I'm so They had such beautiful. Like, Battle of the Bastards was a beautiful scene. I mean, it just was. like written and shot and acted. It was wonderful. And then, like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> well, I'm they so ran so out of book. It, <laughs> it was just that They ran out of book. You can at least create a appropriate ending based on the entire length of the eight books that came before it like John <laughs> killing the fucking Night King what the fuck was he saved for why was he around there was no point to John if it was not to kill the fucking Night King <laughs> they could have killed him off before Rob if that was hell <laughs> you wanted to it <laughs> Oh, Oh, We saved you. There's a prophecy. There was a comet, by the way. You're a Targaryen. Look at all of these things. Look at how they fall into place, like plot points, thought out meticulously. (laughs) Ah, Fuck (laughs) them. So mad about it. From a writer's perspective, I am pissed about
1: it. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, sitting here as an editor, I'm like, I... I would have gone back to my author and been like, What the actual fuck are you doing right now?
0: (laughs) We can't print this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm so mad.
1: Okay. No, you're good. You've every right to be mad about this.
0: Oh, hi, welcome to the actual podcast.
1: All right. Yeah you have a coin <laughs> app up? Do you, who wants to go first?
0: Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, wait. Tell them about the um, network. Yeah. So we are part of the Civilized
1: Creatures podcast network, and we have some really amazing shows to work with. Um, this week, I'm going to go ahead and just direct you straight to Married AF um, because they're delightful. And y'all really, they have great advice for being stuck in the house with people in very close quarters <laughs> all the time. But the other shows on our network are Picks and Bones, Drinks with Larry, The Untrained Eye, uh, and Married AF and Us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, we're <clears throat> we're doing really well. We're all still trying to podcast through this
0: <laughs> nastiness.
1: Um, and Uh, You know, hopefully once things settle down, uh, we can get back to doing like regular game nights and doing, you know, network meetings and trying to push forward different content and feature each other again. But in the meantime, like, we're good. (laughs) We're doing good.
0: We're We're surviving. We all
1: still really like each other and just hope (laughs) for the best. We're good. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: All right. Heads or tails. Uh, I'm gonna go heads. All right, you ready? Yeah. Oh, <gasps> boom, bitch, go. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> okay. 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 So, 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 so. Um, this week, I picked a very multi-talented, well-rounded criminal.
0: <laughs> I picked. I
1: picked the elite criminal. Uh huh. <laughs> He started out early. He worked as hard as he could to be a shit person.
0: <laughs> the All American Dream.
1: He was, okay, so like he was a serial killer that got attention as a serial killer during World War II. Uh, in <laughs> oh. In Europe. Shit. So like your competition for shitty people right this second is fucking Adolf Hitler and you still got <laughs> a story. At all, he jumped that high bar. Mm-hmm. So, this, today we're going to be talking about um, Marcel Andre Henri Felix Petio. You have to speak the French this time. I do have to speak the French. You're this doing time. so much better than I did. Do it. Okay. So, literally, um, the way to pronounce his last name in my notes is Pet hyphen Yo, but Snooty. <laughs> Petio, <laughs> hey, <yo>. Petio. <Hey>, <laughs> um, he was born in Alsace, France, um, in January of 1897, and as far as I can tell, that's a pretty small town in the Burgundy region of France. Okay. Um, he didn't have a great start to his life. Uh, he was raised by his aunt and her maid. Uh, because his parents abandoned him when he was two years old. Uh, his father found work in another town and his mother decided to go with them. But they just sort of collectively were like, a kid? Are you shitting me? No. <laughs> but no, they just, they left him with this aunt who had no husband and no family. And according to him, no business raising children. Oh, um, boy. And it it was literally it was to the point that this aunt and her maid they had him from the time that he was a toddler and he had like a toddler bed yeah and they wouldn't buy him an actual bed to sleep in until he learned to read
0: okay so yeah.
1: so he maybe she had no business raising a child i don't think she had much business raising him at least um <laughs> how's the business <laughs> he he started exhibiting some pretty serious uh, psychological problems pretty early yeah. um throughout his childhood he had some very concerning behavior that his parents <laughs> learned about when they decided that they wanted him
0: back when he was 11 i don't know what sass meter you flipped but i am here for it <laughs> I'm, I'm very sassy for this
1: <laughs> love it continue <laughs> Anyway, so, like, the thing about this kid, he was a very smart child. He was mm-hmm. very, he he taught himself how to read at age five. And from then on... Yeah, because he wanted to fucking sleep. Because he wanted a bed <laughs> to sleep in, or he didn't have to sleep in a ball, because it was made for toddlers. Okay, yes. so... His parents took him back and like for a little while they were like, Oh cool, he's a really smart kid. Like he's so cool, this is going really well. And
0: then they I noticed don't think that's how parenting works. I don't think you just go, out. Oh, I don't want that. And <gasps> changed my mind. It's okay. <laughs> I give it back. No, it's okay. <laughs> I know that's how I know that's how it works because that's how courts work. Like I've seen it happen more than once, but like I don't think that's how parenting works. Exactly.
1: So, um when they took him back and he started acting weird, they called the aunt and they asked her about it, and she was like, "What the oh. fuck did you teach our kid?" <laughs> yeah, no, his parents found him sticking pins into a bird's eye,
0: and oh. <laughs> They called the aunt to see if she had a refund policy. They didn't call her to see about it. No, legit, they did.
1: And the aunt was like, oh, no, he's done way worse than that. Did you know that he had his own cat, and he killed it and hid it under his bed? He tried to drown it first, but it didn't work, so
0: he ended up strangling it. What the... Oh, okay. When I asked for that kid back, I expected these things to be put in writing. (laughs)
1: Right? I wanted to know this before. <laughs> Here's the thing: uh, not too long after they took him back, his mother found out that she was pregnant, and then they sent him back again. <laughs> I told you they were calling the aunt for a refund policy. They were, and they got one.
0: <laughs> um, but like during the interim... yeah, because that psycho like, is just like, oh, he killed the cat. Yeah, <laughs> didn't you know that? Didn't she no it's I just okay. sat there and watched it He it used wasn't to such sit big deal then He used <laughs> to just sit in the yard
1: and impale worms onto needles <laughs> for fun just to see what they would do
0: what the fuck okay yeah,
1: um <laughs> during the the time where his parents had him at age eleven, he continued to act out and he whenever he would act out in school nobody would reprimand him because he was really smart. And it got to a point where he took one of his father's guns to class and demanded sex from a classmate and fired the gun into the ceiling. And they didn't uh, do much about that.
0: Excuse me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted, like, at what point do you go... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if, that, if that's before that point, at what point do you go, no, you can't do that, Johnny? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, the headmaster of the school was understandably kind of concerned about it, because that's not really a normal thing that you do. Kinda concerned. Kind of concerned.
0: <laughs> um, I'm kinda concerned if I find, like, a giant spider on my wall. <laughs> If somebody came into my classroom, shot in the ceiling and said you need to fuck me, like <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Um
1: yeah, so he was eventually expelled, but I don't think that it was for this. I think it was for just later stuff. Um he was eventually institutionalized and diagnosed with a couple of different mental illnesses as a teenager. Um the records from that visit were kind of spotty and not very sure but they were reaffirmed and there were valid records from 1914. Okay. Um, he did eventually finish his education but he got expelled a couple more times in in, in the meantime. Okay. <laughs> um and then, you know, it was 1916 in France, there was some stuff happening. <laughs> he decided to volunteer for the army in world war 1 mm. um he entered service in 1916 and during one battle that he was in he was wounded and gassed uh and he suffered a mental breakdown which <laughs> meant that he was I mean, sent yeah. to yeah right <laughs> i wonder why it's, i mean it's not like trench warfare is super good for you or anything so like he was sent to various rest homes But he ended up being arrested for stealing army supplies, including morphine, wallets, personal photographs, and letters uh, from the other patients. We'll go with patients. Um, (laughs) He was, again, during this day, diagnosed with various mental illnesses, including depression, melancholia, mental disequilibrium, obsessions, phobias, and neurasthenia.
0: All right, so... First of all, my first question was, What's the difference between melancholia and depression? And then you said mental disequilibrium or something like that. And I was like, Oh, that, that means you're fucked up. Uh huh. Uh huh.
1: He was later diagnosed with paranoia and various psychoses uh, that included hallucinations. And it was just, it was a whole thing. It was a whole yeah. thing. He was never very uh, well. Um, But it was okay, I guess, because they decided to return him to the war front.
0: Well, (laughs) they didn't have many living people left.
1: No, no. They sent him back in 1918. He was in in the field for about three weeks as a machine gunner. Oh, don't give him that specific question. Yeah. Um. apparently he got out of that because he injured his own foot with a fucking grenade he grenaded his foot on purpose
0: Oh, you have okay. a machine gun
1: and you decide to use a
0: grenade, grenade? on your foot was there a foot left yep <laughs> oh okay I guess he
1: was sent to a new regiment <laughs> they didn't oh, like take him out of the- <laughs> they didn't like okay. let him leave
0: Like, uh, just turn him into the wilderness at the very least, right? Just like leave, just
1: just do something. Do literally (laughs) anything else. Um, But anyway, he was sent to a new regiment, and he began to exhibit mood swings and depression, and he started to feel really unwell. Uh, So they sent him back to an asylum, uh, where he was again diagnosed with the same mental illnesses. Which were finally enough to get him discharged with a disability pension because at that point it was 1919 and Armistice Day was over and, you know, they didn't
0: need yeah. him as badly. They didn't need cannon fodder, so they were like, oh shit, <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> right. So, uh, while he was in the
1: asylums, because at this point he's been in an asylum for the majority of his army career, which has spanned about three years now. Okay. Um... While he was there, he developed an interest in medicine oh, and boy. he went to medical school.
0: Oh no. As in he was
1: physically present somewhere with medicine. Oh no. <laughs> um, It was an accelerated course that he finished in eight months. Okay, no. Mm-mm. At the mental asylum. Oh boy. <laughs> um, okay. While he was there, he wrote a 40-page thesis on Guillain-Barre syndrome, so props to that.
0: Um, well, there you go.
1: The The doctors that he thanked in his thesis weren't real, and nobody noticed. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nobody noticed. Uh, nope, but he received a medical degree in
0: 1921.
1: Oh no, Julia. And, yep. He started practicing medicine, and that went about as well as you would think it went uh he he started his practice and it, it was a small practice it was just him and a receptionist and <laughs> receptionist. uh yeah and that like, he imagined were,
0: <laughs> that
1: he, yeah um and he you know he had a couple patients he was signing them up without their knowledge, for government health benefits and then charging them and the government for those benefits. So he was in on the insurance thing real early. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And while he was working pretty early in his career, he developed a a reputation as a generally shitty doctor, (laughs) depending on who you asked. For some people, he was a very charming man. He was... You know, kind of a sociopath, just a little bit.
0: <laughs> just <laughs> that's not who I want to go to as a doctor. Just, just a little bit. If I look at my doctor and go, "You're, just a, you're a little bit of a sociopath, aren't you?" And he goes, "Yeah."
1: All right, no. Um, but he was very charming and very charismatic, and he, uh, there were a lot of people that really liked him and and thought that he was very intelligent and had the cure to various ailments. And he would freely prescribe just about anything you wanted. Um, oh, well,
0: that's why they liked him. Uh-huh. He's Doc. Can I get some, like, can I get, like, a jug of opium? <laughs> Do you think that could help me for this bandaged wrist?
1: Legit, though. Yeah, I
0: think it could. <laughs> that's
1: what was happening. So, um, he would supply <laughs> narcotics to patients without the patients really needing them. He would... F- uh, perform illegal abortions uh, he was caught doing uh nefarious prescribing things when a pharmacist in town uh noticed that he had prescribed a lethal dose of narcotics to a child
0: oh my god <laughs>
1: um and his response was legit okay but like what do you care oh <gasps> like well- If it cures him, no harm, no foul. And if it kills him, then his mom won't have a sick kid to look after. So it's basically a
0: win-win. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what to say to that.
1: (laughs) I don't either. I have no idea what to say to this. What is happening? (laughs) How do you keep your medical license after somebody
0: thinks that you may have done that? (laughs) um and then the audacity to just be like the fuck do you care Mm
1: -hmm. like it's not your problem and frankly it's not my problem either so like let's just move on with our lives so it generally he started killing people a little bit more directly um (laughs) in, in about 1926 Okay. So uh, he was having an affair with one of his patient's helpers named uh, Louise de Okay. and she disappeared in May of 1926. So generally the story with them is uh, they had had sort of like a, a very badly kept secret relationship. Like <laughs> Petio yeah, like, was pretty notorious for not appreciating anyone showing up to his house unannounced, including someone that he was trying to have sex with. So like all of their encounters were planned ahead of time, and everybody mm-hmm. was like, "Okay, cool, he's at the saloon tonight. Guess Louise isn't coming over," uh, and every like everybody knew. Everybody knew.
0: It was one of those porch talk relationships. Yeah,
1: it was. He was not good at being discreet.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: And she, you know, eventually she moved in with him. They were living together as an unmarried couple. That was very scandalous. It was under the guise of her being his maid. That didn't work out that well. And the town gossip was apparently that she had had more than one abortion during their relationship, Oh. Um, yeah. So whenever she went missing, everybody was like, oh, fuck, she's just in Paris again. Like, <laughs> she'll come back and she'll have a little bitty waste and it'll be a, an absolute miracle and it'll not be a big deal. Well, she didn't come back. Three weeks after she went missing, people noticed a pretty bad smell coming from the river. And they found a trunk underneath some rocks And inside of it was a headless body. Oh. Yeah. The police conducted an investigation. And they decided that Louise was a runaway. And they didn't need to look into this any further. And uh, with the body, like, they never did find that head. And the police commissioner was really sure after a while that, like, that was definitely Louise's body. Mm-hmm. And Marcel, or er, Petio, definitely killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, no head meant no foul play, so it was never investigated.
0: <laughs> Wait. No, it gets worse. No head means no foul play.
1: Yeah, no, you have a decapitated body, and that means nothing's wrong. Additionally... After her disappearance, the house where she lived before she moved in with him was burglarized and destroyed in an arson fire. And the police were literally just like, eh, that's weird. You're right, it is weird. What what a coincidence (laughs) that is. And they they just decided it wasn't worth investigating. It it wasn't worth their time. So that never got looked into. Uh, So they have...
0: So what I've gotten out of this story is that all of France has a very, like, blase attitude (laughs) towards some real weird shit.
1: (laughs) That's basically what I've also gotten out of this story. (laughs) And, like, this was France, like, between the two wars. There was shit to worry about. I get that. Like, you were in complete economic ruin. Right? But, But, like maybe consider looking into a decapitated body when you find one
0: okay you know what especially yeah. when everybody also, knows who did it like if the kid comes into a classroom and shoots the ceiling and demands sex maybe like maybe. consider
1: looking at that one a little bit further take that kid away mm-hmm. they did take him away and he would do oh really well in the asylums. He would do very well when he was being institutionalized and he would start to get better because he was medicated. They had to run tranquilizers. Mm-hmm. And then whenever he started to get better, they would let him go and then he wouldn't take the tranquilizers because that's what happens when you have a very paranoid personality disorder. Um, yeah, And then you think that the medicine is uh, messing with you and then you don't. Then you start to devolve again and it's just sort of this very bad, vicious cycle that you go into because that's how your brain works. Yep. If you don't have any sort of checks and balances and systems in place to keep that from happening. But it's okay. Because, uh, okay, back to this. 1926. <laughs> we're in 1926. He's got a dead girlfriend. Your body is in the river. Nobody is looking at him for it. Um, And he decides that that went so well that uh, he you know, he was doing okay as a doctor and I don't know, he just sort of wanted more out of his life, and he wanted to
0: go into politics. He wanted to be the mayor. But, yep. He's been absolutely unqualified for everything so far.
1: Yeah, no. I, I told you that this story was, like, it, it has a couple <laughs> what-the-fuck moments. This is one of them. The first of many.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not the first. We've had a couple what-the-fuck moments so far. This is... <laughs> This is one of those confusing. I don't think I saw it in the progression of a murderer. Yeah, that's what. Well, okay.
0: I don't know. I uh, think about um, John Wayne Gacy. He he yeah. had like real close ties to a whole bunch of politics.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you you want to go where the money and the power is when yeah. you have that sort of psychosis, um, and you tend to be very good at it because you're very good at fooling people, because that's part of how his brain worked, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, He really wanted to be mayor, and he ran a a pretty illegitimate election, and went as far as hiring people to disrupt political debates with his opponents. And he won. Uh, He became mayor. And he immediately started embezzling money from the town. Just... It was... I don't think it took him like three days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he did it for a while. He was eventually caught embezzling, and but he wasn't suspended as mayor until 1931.
0: It. it I'm astonished, right? How much shit he's getting away with.
1: It, girl, it gets worse. Okay. Um. Anyway, he was suspended in 1931, and the village council all resigned in sympathy. But that didn't matter a whole lot. <laughs> Like, he was this very charismatic guy, and he just sort of convinced the village council that, like, it was super wrong, and, you know, you should resign with me, because if I'm not in power, and I can't help you. What good is Ah. your job, anyway? I see. Um, Doesn't matter a whole lot, because literally five weeks after his suspension, he was elected as a counselor for the district where he
0: was mayor i don't understand i don't understand
1: uh-huh <laughs> me either <laughs> um okay. he yep nope that was that was a thing that happened um he was uh accused of stealing electric power from the village which he definitely did um And the village tried to commence some sort of legal action against him, but by the time that they got around to it, he had gotten married, he had a child, he had convinced his wife that people were, like, super jealous of how successful he was, and they just needed to get away from all these country bumpkins and small-minded people that didn't understand his brilliance. And he decided to move his family to Paris. Okay. And so they did. And then there was no real follow-up with that whole electricity beavery oh, charge. Okay. He, sure. Um
0: He's gone, whatever.
1: Yep. Oh, here's another thing. During his tenure as mayor, before he moved to Paris, he was also accused of having an affair with a dairy farmer's wife. Uh she lived on the outskirts of town, and this woman mysteriously died in a house fire. By mysteriously died, I mean she had her head smashed in with a hammer and then her house was set on fire. And again, there were no real legal repercussions for this dude. He actually showed up to the crime scene while the house was still on fire. He and his wife were on their way to see a movie when they drove by the house, which was, again, on the outskirts of town and not close to the movie theater. Um... He stopped by just to see if he could help. He checked the body. Did not bother looking at her head. Which was caved in with a hammer. <laughs> and then he was like, yep, okay, she's dead. Just wanted to check in. Let me know if you need anything. And then they left because they didn't want to be late for the movie.
0: Oh my god. What the like, fuck is happening?
1: I know. Um, anyway. So he... <laughs> Wasn't terribly popular in the town. He decided to move his family to Paris. Um, he bought a medical practice there in a very uppity part of town, so that he would have educated clients. And see, you
0: know. here's the thing: once you start fucking with rich folk, people are gonna come for you. Uh huh. And they
1: did come for him because he had another mental breakdown and he was institutionalized again for mental illness. And he, you know. He was reevaluated by the Army medics, and he was declared a hundred percent uh medically disabled because of his mental illness and he appealed that and got it reduced to fifty percent. but he was eventually discharged because that you know worked itself out, I guess, and went on about his medical career because he kept his license and i don't
0: I don't understand.
1: I don't. I don't get it. But within a few months of being discharged from that stint in a mental hospital, he was appointed as a district surgeon. That oh, was important. God. No, Jesus here. This is, that was important because that gave him the right to attend post mortems and issue and sign death certificates. It, it also no. gave him access to Paris's post-mortem archives, where he could alter or destroy records as he saw fit.
0: Oh, fuck. He's about to go
1: murdering everybody. He's, he murders so many people, Sam. It's so many. Okay. So he's in Paris. He's a district surgeon. He's living his best life, I guess. And he bought a new house. It was a townhouse in a very nice district of the city. He had plans to convert the property into a mental clinic. World War II happened before that could really get underway. Yeah. And it started and the Germans took over Paris pretty quickly. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dr. Petitot was a little bit strapped for cash, as was everyone in occupied Europe, and he came up with a very, very bad plan for how to get cash. <laughs> it was a really bad plan. I cannot stress this enough. Okay. um, He was planning that he was going to operate his own little underground railroad. Uh, he was going to set up a network to get Jews out of France and send them to Argentina. And he had contacts with an Argentinian diplomat and... Uh, He knew how to get them by way of Spain and Portugal to South America. And as part of this plan to leave the continent, you know, first you would have to pay him. Obviously, you'd have to make a down payment of 55,000 francs on a total payment of 150,000 francs. And you would need to be immunized before you went now the immunization wasn't an immunization it was uh, cyanide
0: yeah okay so the beginning of this story I was like why in the world would he want to set up an underground railroad and then it kept going and I was like oh to kill them that's why yeah so he would, he would make them
1: oh. pay him um, large sums of money And then he would make it so that they, you know, went to go and get their shots so that they would be safe. And then the Argentinian government would let them into the country because they had been inoculated properly. And then he injected them with cyanide. And then he stacked their bodies in the basement, one on top of the other. And just left them there. (gasps) Oh, what the fuck? Yep. And, like, nobody was looking for these people. It was reasonable that they would vanish because they were trying to get the fuck out of the continent. Yeah. Not a whole lot of people looked for them. And some... Okay, this is my theory. It's not a proven theory, but it's the thing that makes the most sense to me. I think that he held them uh, and threatened them to write to their families because Mm. some of the families would get letters from the people that he had killed every couple of days with updated instructions of how to find them and they were dead they were dead he was either very good at forging their writing or he sat them down and was like okay i need you to write out these instructions for how your family can find you so that I can send it to them once you're on your way. This motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And of course nobody nobody ever left. Nobody that went into that apartment ever came out of that apartment and nobody was looking for them because they were all trying to leave. Yeah. Um. And of course nobody, you, you know, if you have enough bodies stacked up in your basement, somebody's going to find them. <laughs> yeah it's your basement it's indoors that's gonna smell real bad after a little bit yeah um so the first person to find the bodies was his younger brother maurice the the one where um when he was 11 his mom found out that he was pregnant and she was like (laughs) peace that baby Oh no. So, unsurprisingly, they did about the same thing to Maurice and ended up leaving him with Petio and the aunt and the maid. And the, the aunt and the maid obviously were not great parents to him either. So, Petio ended up basically raising this child. And so, this kid oh, just worshiped his older brother. Oh, shit. And knew that he was very sick. He was a, a sick man. So, mm-hmm. he found four bodies stacked on top of each other in the basement of the townhouse. All of their heads had been shaved. They were just sort of in a pit. And he was concerned. He went and he he told one of his friends. Um, oh, my goodness. But the two of them together decided that they didn't need to tell anybody else. And that should be a secret. Um. What? <laughs> and maybe if I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> the little
0: <laughs>
1: the little brother worked like, in. it! <laughs> I know, I know. It's just it's one of those things that like you either tell everybody or you don't fucking tell anybody ever. Um, okay. And I guess he went the route of telling exactly one person, and then neither of them told anybody ever. But what ended up happening was Maurice worked in, like, construction, he was an electrician, and he knew how to get quicklime. So he would help his older brother by delivering quicklime so that he could, um, just sort of dissolve the bodies and then whatever was left would be incinerated. What
0: the fuck is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you.
1: So, like, there were multiple reports of... Because, um, you know, not everyone stayed in the basement. <laughs> there were so many reports of, like, his his neighbors would notice, like, late at night. He would, like, have wheelbarrows that went out of the house. And, like, he would carry trunks sometimes. And, uh, you know, it was always late and it was always kind of weird. Um, there were all sorts of bodies that... He had dumped in the Seine Um, Eventually that got too risky So he started Melting and then incinerating His victims
0: And um Yeah Okay France (laughs) I need to understand Do you remember Do you remember End of the World (laughs) And France is like But I am late tired I have a cigarette Send fire some missiles
1: yeah, so that was a more accurate representation, <laughs> and like than we thought. To France's credit, because I don't know how much they deserve <laughs> right now, but to France's credit, this was France occupied by Nazi Germany. Yeah, and that turned out to be not a bad thing in this scenario, because the thing that that made this stop is that he was, um, Doctor Petiot was very bad at being discreet as we've learned um, through this. So the Gestapo found out about him. <laughs>
0: oh.
1: And um, they found
0: out about him in 1943, and they found out about... I'm sorry, wait, okay. He started this in 1926? Yeah. And, and he... <laughs> nothing was done until 1943?
1: Yep. <laughs> yep! So yep Um, so the Gestapo (laughs) found out about his route and they started sending prisoners to approach this network as clients to try to get get sent to Argentina and uh, their first prisoner just vanished and then another one was able to successfully infiltrate the operation and round up three other people who were associated with this, but that weren't Petio? Like they just—I—I I don't know what they were doing with it. I think I, I have absolutely no idea how they fit into this. I think they thought okay. they were doing the right thing and didn't realize that he was killing people, or he was paying them very well. Okay,
0: okay, <laughs> okay. So I don't like—I'm processing. <laughs> just i can't describe
1: how much i love your face right now you look so confused
0: i just don't understand how do you get away with something like that for so long i don't know and it's not like he
1: wasn't hospitalized like he was frequently hospitalized like they knew he had serious issues and they knew he had violent (laughs) tendencies and I guess it was just, like, not a big deal.
0: Do you know where I would have stopped? <laughs> I would have stopped if I walked into the backyard and saw my son sticking pins <laughs> in the bird's eye. At that point, I would have been like, this is not good. So... <laughs>
1: that's the I'll appropriate point about to stop i feel like i would have stopped if my nephew had killed his cat and hidden it under his bed after trying to drown okay. it in boiling water like that no you're right
0: i i forgot about that somehow yeah <laughs> i would stop it there i feel like at that point
1: you would really like oh. i understand that you've got a really smart kid and he could be headed to really great things
0: <laughs> but you've got to
1: work this out before he can go be a good person.
0: Right? Oh, my God. Okay. That's not
1: a boys okay. will be boys scenario. It's really not, no. I swear. It's not. Also, Mm-mm. um, he had a, a pretty serious issue with bedwetting.
0: Oh, my God. And he
1: showed um whenever he was little and he would get really angry, he would go into these very violent fits where he would smash his head into things um, repeatedly. So... He has, you know, bedwetting, animal torture, abuse, head trauma. Head trauma.
0: And he likes setting fires, apparently. Yeah, he
1: did. Send him back. <laughs> <laughs> Could we get another one? <laughs> can we have a redo? They had a redo, and then the redo was like, yeah, no, I can go ahead and just get you some quick lime. We'll just dissolve these. It's fine. <laughs> Your redo wasn't significantly better than your uh, original, and I need you to understand that that is a problem.
0: <laughs> Uninstall Windows Ten, motherfucker. Uh huh. So okay, okay.
1: He ended up. He was caught. His his operation was shut down by the Gestapo. He wasn't caught. He ended up yeah. hiding inside of one of his patient's houses for seven months.
0: Did, did the patient know he was there? Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it was
1: one of those things where like he came in for one night so that he could spend one night and like get a shower and a meal and then leave, and then he was like, uh, do you mind if I stay like a little longer? And then it was seven months. He was the worst house guest in history.
0: At least he wasn't, like, hiding in her fucking walls.
1: <laughs> I'll go ahead and give you that. He deserves credit for at least that
0: much. Oh, he deserves credit for not one goddamn thing, but <laughs> at least he was hiding in her walls. Yeah. But no,
1: he, to this patient, he claimed that the Gestapo wanted him because he had been killing Germans. Which, I mean, he oh, did. Okay. He he did kill a German or two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. No. <laughs> Not like he was signaling them I'm out. I'm sure
1: some of that was coincidence, and really a lot of the people that he had killed were Jews that were trying to get away from the yeah. Germans. So, uh. Um, mm. Anyway, while he was there, he grew out his beard. Um, He changed his name to Henri Valéry. And he was still masquerading as a doctor, so now he was just Dr. Valéry instead of Dr. Petitot. And that uh, after that whole thing happened Uh, once France was liberated from the Germans and life started to return to normal he was forced out of hiding because there wasn't the Gestapo in France anymore and they couldn't keep looking for him because they weren't there so he decided that the best way that he could you know sort of get out of Dodge was to join the French forces of the interior where he was okay no wait
0: Explain that one to me. What? (laughs) So
1: he decided that he wanted to go be a police officer.
0: Oh, for fuck's
1: sake.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You're so crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he he joined, um, this is maybe my favorite part of the story, the French forces of the interior were called the Fifi's. (laughs) (laughs) So he went to join the Fifi's. (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he rose through the ranks pretty quickly he was promoted to captain very quickly and during this time you know there were a lot of old cases that were being picked up because you don't have to deal with the fucking Nazis anymore Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the cases that was picked up was the case of Dr. Petio, because you know you don't want to that's not really a dude that you want around and the police knew that he was a, a very big problem to have as a human being, and he had a really huge ego. So they just sort of decided. Hey, Henry,
0: come look at it. come look at this file. Right? Look at, look at this crazy oh, guy. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> what they decided to oh, do? Oh, You want it? Yeah, you can take the file. Take the file.
1: I'm not even fucking kidding you. He was put on the team that was oh, in charge of looking God for him. Say no. He, it took one of the other people on the team to sort of look at him and go, you know, you look kind of familiar, but he was put on the team and was in charge of looking for him. <laughs> why? I, this <laughs> is why I took so long to get this done, because I read that and I went, no, I have to fucking do something else. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked at it again and went, I can't not do this. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Um, Anyway, in order to flush uh, Marcel Pateo out, um, the police knew that he was—he had a huge ego—and they effectively decided <laughs> to embarrass him out of hiding, and it came very close to working. So, hey,
0: Henri, doesn't this picture in this file look a little fat? Does he look a little <laughs> fat to you, Henri? <laughs> the press. What do you think?
1: Right. Doesn't this look like an uglier, beardless version of you, huh? <laughs> Sorry for that, poor son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with you, man. I, I don't. Okay, so that's a face not even a mother could love, right? Isn't it, Henri? <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, the way that they went about this was that the press released an article in the paper called "Petio, the Soldier of the Reich." which claimed that Petyo was a Nazi and a cocaine dealer and a pimp and also a murderer. And Petyo was very angry about this, so he wrote and sent a 10-page complaint to the editor of the paper saying that the entire thing was bullshit, except he didn't really consider that this was published in Resistance. It was published in the newspaper in Paris and in order to read it he would have to be in Paris so that meant that he was still in Paris because that's where, like, you just told everyone (laughs) where you are and you're trying to avoid them.
0: (laughs) Okay. And then how many months later did they actually catch him?
1: Um, I didn't find a time frame but it it took longer than it should have.
0: Of course it fucking did. Um, he
1: was eventually arrested at a metro
0: station. And when they arrested him, he was... Was he like standing on the street corner naked with a sign painted on him that just says, It's me! I kill people!
1: <laughs> um, Almost. He was carrying a pistol, 31,700 francs. And 50 sets of identity documents, many of them from the people that he killed um, oh. in this whole Underground Railroad to Argentina thing. So,
0: so he was put on the case and went, yo, boss, I think now I I want to take a vacation now. Can I, <laughs> can I take a vacation now? Right.
1: So um, when he was arrested, he was pretty much immediately placed on death row. Yeah. Yeah. And he continued insisting that he had only killed enemies of France, and he was doing this for the good of the thing, and it was wartime, and, like, that it's bullshit.
0: Yeah. He had a literal
1: pile of bodies, and he killed, at a minimum, 27 people for profit. This oh, is not including make. lovers. It is not including random people that pissed him off. It is not including people who threatened to expose him. Just for profit... A minimum of 27 people.
0: Good lord. It's
1: estimated that his loot ran upwards of 200 million francs and his (gasps) eventual suspected number of victims well past 63. Good lord. One of the people in charge of the investigation suspected that it was actually upwards of 200, but he decided to be safe and settle on 150 because he felt like that was a good solid number that was totally
0: reasonable. Jesus Christ, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't process this. Go on. Go okay. on.
1: so he did admit to killing 19 of the victims that they found in his house. Didn't say how the rest of them got there. There were more than 19 people in his house.
0: You wouldn't believe it. I woke up one day and there were dead bodies in my basement.
1: Dude, it must have been the other guys. I don't know. They actually got (laughs) caught by the Gestapo. Oh my god, they were so stupid. How could they possibly leave their bodies in with my bodies? Amateurs. (laughs) So, his, his poor defense attorney, man. Oh my god. His defense attorney tried so hard to paint him as like a hero of the resistance and he did the best that he could and he was only trying to fight the war in his own way and nobody
0: fucking believed it. it, 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 You presumably his defense attorney would have known about all of his hospitalizations and he chose to be like no he's for the resistance and not he's fucking crazy
1: he tried to plead insanity but it was determined that he was mentally competent to stand trial there was nothing that they could do they shut that avenue down immediately
0: um
1: so then it was the
0: hey he's a veteran (laughs) Hey guys, guys. You remember when you put him in a war? Yeah. Like, oh my
1: god, he hurt his foot really bad one time. Like,
0: <laughs> can you let him go? <laughs> um, he hurt his foot really bad one time. <laughs> he dropped a fucking grenade. On him. <laughs> um, okay.
1: Anyway, so he was he was convicted of uh, twenty six counts of murder. <laughs> And Oh, you don't say. Um, yeah, no, he was sentenced to death, and he was beheaded via gu- guillotine. On May 25th, 1946, he was initially buried under a flat slab of cement, but in 1965, <laughs> uh his remains were moved to an unmarked mass grave, and that's where he is still staying. His child was never given the opportunity to ask if he wanted to reclaim his father's body. But at at this point, that's not your problem. (laughs) That kid lives in Brazil, because he actually got out (laughs) of Europe. And uh, that's it. That's how... Oh, my
0: gosh.
1: That's my story. Um, That is insane. That's my thing. So my sources were Wikipedia, Find a Grave, and the book Die in Paris, The True Story of France's Most Notorious Killer by Marilyn Z. Tomlins. Um, I will say, find a grave had a surprising amount of information on it, and people are still leaving flowers on this dude's like find a grave.
0: As r- why? Fuck if I know. France. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to get your shit together.
1: <laughs> I know. Like one of the flowers that were that was left was like, Huh, you're really sick, dude. I hope that your soul gets some, some peaceful rest, cause like, goddamn. But no, there were like people still people leave flowers on his grave.
0: Oh, good lord. Um okay. so
1: yeah. There you go. That's my story. Oh my god. <laughs> That's what All That's right, well, what I've been looking at for days on end.
0: <laughs> uh I don't have anything like nearly. <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> um so okay. I am ready. Okay. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so baffled right now. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's switch from that to um the wild murder of Ken McElroy or McElroy uh, to this which to this day remains unsolved okay it is a <laughs> it, it is a journey. um okay so so let's get into it okay <clears throat> uh McElroy was born in 1934 to poor tenant farmers who had moved near the town of Skidmore Missouri he was. <laughs> He was 15 out of 16 children. Oh, dude. That's too many. What what year was this? Um, 1934. You are never going to get a hot bath, man. <laughs> never in your life. Oh, my gosh. That's so many children. Okay. hmm So, he dropped out of school in eighth grade at the age of 15 and was largely considered illiterate. Uh, At 18, he was allegedly injured when a steel slab fell on him at a construction site, leaving him in chronic pain and with a head injury. That's a bad start to your
1: life, my friend.
0: (laughs) Which is interesting because, like, head injury and murderers. Yeah. But um, it's just not been a good life. No. No. Uh, so, some say this is the reason for his later behavior. So, some say, like, this head injury is why he acted the way he acted in later life. I mean, head injuries do weird shit to you, man. They do weird shit to you, but also, you're just a shit person at some point. Agreed. There, there okay. is a, There is a certain line where, like,
1: if you have any control over yourself... You make decisions, and sometimes the decisions Mm -hmm. you make are really shitty, and there is a lot of wiggle room, and TBIs are horrendous to deal with, Mm -hmm. and to watch somebody that you care about suffer one of those and have their entire personality change, not easy. Not going to make light of that. However, sometimes when you're a shitty person... (laughs) You're a shitty person. Sometimes it's your
0: fault. (laughs) Yeah. So he, he was a shitty person. Okay. Uh, McElroy was a giant of a man. Uh, when both in stature and in weight, he weighed two hundred and seventy pounds, and he was just a big guy. Okay. So a local farmer described him, stating that Quint, or sorry, Ken, uh, simply wanted to be big and important and have people afraid of him when he walked on the street, and he got that they were. Okay. So. Uh, After dropping out of school, he quickly established a life of crime. He made his living off of leasing land near his farm, trading and raising dogs, and stealing livestock, grain, alcohol, gasoline, and antiques. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay. Some of that made sense because some of that
1: was like useful shit.
0: Antiques? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like just I would I'll steal the livestock. That's worth a lot of money. I'll steal the grain. That's worth a lot of money. I'll steal the alcohol and the gasoline. And you know what? I'm taking Mama's chest of drawers too. <laughs> okay. So um his lawyer estimated he was charged with a various crime or with various crimes at least three times a year. Oh Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Yo. So, supposedly, McElroy bragged that his lawyer, Richard Gene McFadden, also represented the mob. And to be real honest, the shit he got him out of, I can see it. Okay. (laughs) Because, like, I can see it. Listen to this. Like, listen to all this shit. So McElroy had a thing for young girls. He'd been accused of raping two women who were as young as 12, and he had three wives, at least two of which he found when they were 12.
1: No, fuck this guy. Fuck every single thing that happens to him in his entire life.
0: Yeah. So uh, one of these was his last wife, Trina McLeod. Um, he raped her repeatedly and threatened her family to consent to the marriage. She became pregnant when she was fourteen, dropped out of school in ninth grade and went to live with McElroy and his third wife, Alice. He I'm only horrified. divorced Alice he He only divorced Alice and married Trina to avoid a statutory rape charge, as he had done with Alice herself. What the fuck There has to be something. Like, okay, people are gross.
1: People like this are extra gross. There mm-hmm. has to be some sort of remedy for this. Like, there has to be something where eventually you look at somebody who's done this specific thing enough times that you're like, mm, maybe we should make you not do that.
0: Girl. There's not? Yeah. But I'm so be. glad that you're starting here because you're going to understand the townspeople so much. Okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, 16 days after Trina gave birth, both she and Alice fled to Trina's mother and stepfather's house. According to court records, McElroy tracked them down and forcefully brought them back. He then returned to Trina's parents' house when they were away, shot the family dog, and burned the house down. What the fuck? yeah alright well I already didn't like this motherfucker listen to this based on Trina's story McElroy was indicted on June 1973 for arson assault and statutory rape he was arrested, booked arraigned and released on $2,500 bail you're fucking with me (laughs) I told you I'm I'm with this like whole lawyer being part of the mob thing because like oh my god I'm so mad okay sorry continue yep so Trina and her baby were placed in foster care at a home in Maryville, Mar- uh, Maryville Missouri McElroy sat outside the foster home for hours at a time staring at it nope he told the foster family that he would trade quote girl for girl to get his child back since he knew where the foster family's biological daughter went to school and what bus route she rode i'm i'm going to invent time
1: travel <laughs> so that i can stab this man in the foot
0: listen <laughs> uh it came it what well, it comes as no shock that he was also horribly abusive to his oh, wife. oh god no of course t- <laughs> Thank you. I don't think you had to tell me that. <laughs> I think I could have assumed that. Of course. <laughs> now, that being said, both Trina and Alice repeatedly defended him, saying that he never did the things he was accused of and that the police were harassing him, that he was a kind man, which comes with trauma. I was going to say that. that no, with, you.
1: That, okay, yeah. good. That's very
0: understandable of them. Because mm-hmm. that's what you do when you've been abused that badly. Yeah. And, and, I mean, think about it. He took Trina when she was 12. Yeah. So That's what you yeah. know. You don't know anything else. You have to say that yeah. sort of shit to make exactly. sure that the
1: only structure that you have in your life doesn't evaporate in front of you, even if you, like, objectively will have a better life without that.
0: Yeah. So In addition to those upsetting crimes, he also committed robbery, harassing, slash assaulting women, destroying property, threatening lives, and assault, including shooting at least two people. He dies at the end of this, right? One of those two people was local farmer Romaine Henry. (laughs) So, (laughs) a no. Thank you. So, on July 27th, 1976, Henry confronted McElroy for shooting weapons on Henry's property. McElroy shot Henry twice in the stomach when Henry tried to chase McElroy off his land. What the fuck? That's not your land, dickhead! McElroy was charged with assault with intent to kill and denied he was at the scene. As the case dragged on without a court date, Henry said McElroy had parked outside his home at least 100 times. Where the fuck are the police? He did this constantly. For every crime he was charged with, he would intimidate the witnesses by following them and parking outside of their homes and watching them until they refused to testify. Why do you keep letting him have a car? (laughs) At trial, two raccoon hunters testified they were with McElroy on the day of the shooting from Henry's property. Or, shooting... Uh, Away from Henry's property. So they were with McElroy far away from Henry's property. Henry was forced to admit in court under questioning by McElroy's attorney that he had concealed his own petty criminal conviction for more than 30 years previously. So McElroy was acquitted. Who
1: the fuck cares? (laughs) I don't give a shit if you stole something from the dollar store 30 years ago. I I don't. I just, I don't. If you did something 30 years ago, it almost does not matter what you did if it's not rape or murder, I don't care. Oh god, I'm so- okay.
0: <laughs> so even the cops were afraid of him because he was known to be heavily armed and unafraid of shooting them and he constantly got off for his crimes. He avoided charges charges a total of 21 times. In fact, He was never convicted for one of his crimes until near the end of his life at the age of 47. (sighs) For over two decades, the people of Skidmore felt abandoned by the justice system that couldn't stop McElroy from terrorizing them.
1: I fucking wonder why.
0: I'm not affected by this (laughs) at all, and I'm
1: angry at the justice system on this (laughs) people's behalf. I wouldn't exist for another 20 years.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about his death, please. On April 25th, 1980, store clerk Evelyn uh, Sumi asked McElroy's eight-year-old daughter, Tanya, to return a piece of candy she had not paid for. When McElroy learned about this, he began stalking the store owner, 70-year-old Ernest Bowen Camp and his wife, Louise. On July 8th, 1980, he drove into the back alley behind the Bowen Camp General Store and threatened Bo before shooting him point blank in the neck with a shotgun. Bow survived. Good! Mm-hmm. You- and McElroy was arrested and charged with attempted murder. You have shot someone in the, the throat because
1: they wanted... They didn't want your kid to steal a candy bar? That's what this is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Continue. I'm so, so
0: angry. he was charged with attempted murder. His prelim trial was set for August 18th, 1980, before which he settled into his usual routine of intimidating the Bowen Camp family and supporters to keep them from testifying at court. Louis, or Louise, sorry, Louise, uh, Bonecamp's Camp's wife recalled, quote, you can't know how intimidating it was after that. Before his trial, he'd drive up to our house in his pickup at night and just sit there. Sometimes he would fire his gun. It was frightening, end quote. That poor fucking woman. I know, right? Her husband just got shot. So, and now she has to deal with, oh, good lord, okay. So he was able to delay the trial for almost five months until June 25th, 1981. Uh During that whole time, he's, like, harassing them. So, during this time, the acting prosecuting attorney resigned, and some speculated that McElroy had bullied the previous prosecutor into leaving. And a new young prosecutor named David Baird, who was hired to fill his position, Baird was only three years out of law school. Dude, what? You can't... I'm sorry. But think about it, though. Like, yeah, that's not a lot of time, but it's only three years out of law school and he's just assigned to this case where nobody's gotten a winning conviction. That motherfucker is going to be on top of everything.
1: Oh, he is. No, if you got... (laughs) Why do you put somebody that... Okay, sorry. I have, like, a greater, a larger policy issue with, like... Maybe don't have a prosecutor that's that inexperienced. But,
0: you know, I'm not going to be a lawyer. What the fuck do I know? He managed to get McElroy's only conviction. Good for him. However, however. God damn it. He didn't get him for attempted murder, but second degree assault. What the fuck? (laughs) You know what? It's something good for him. It's something. But fuck this yeah. dude. Like what Oh, it gets worse. Uh the jury said a maximum sentence of two years. However, the judge freed him on forty thousand dollars bail bond but uh pending the appeal. I'm mm, mm, mm. <laughs> She's so angry. Mm. Oh, you're so angry, Julia. Mm. <laughs> Also, I peep you getting ready to cut your fucking bangs. What are you doing? <laughs> I put the goddamn scissors down. <laughs> I watched
1: you measure them. I know. Out. I just I don't like them where they are, <laughs> and I'm sitting here and staring at a fucking video of myself. <laughs> so like. Okay, I I put the scissors down. I'm going to pay <laughs> all of my attention to you in this god awful story and not my face, which looks terrible right now because I have my bangs are too long because I've
0: been in quarantine and can't cut them. Okay, sorry. Please continue. Fine. All right. So. Um <laughs> McElroy reportedly said of the trial Quote, the jury convicted me And they gave me two years But I'll tell you what, I'll never go to jail I'll appeal and get off I've been fighting the law since I was 13 And I'm damn near 50 I've been arrested for over 53 felonies And this is the first one I ever lost <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. I just did, like, I just, I sat here, I couldn't help just, like, waving my arms in rage like a bitter old Italian woman. (laughs) Because that's what I just transformed into. I felt the powers of all of my ancestors descend
0: upon my body. I saw your soul get taken over, girl. Fuck! Okay. (laughs) So... Uh, Immediately after being released at a post-trial hearing, McElroy went to the D&G Tavern, a local bar, with an M1 uh, Garand rifler, a rifle with a bayonet attached, and made graphic threats about murdering Bobo in camp. So he was arrested and then released. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The only consequence he received for these threats, his appeal was postponed to July 20th, 1981. So. So he's still July getting 10th, an unbelievably fast trial? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that lawyer works for the mob. I'm with it. I believe it. Uh-huh. I'll hop onto but, that conspiracy theory. So, on July 10th, 1981, the town gathered at the Legion Hall, just down the street from the D&G Tavern. The mayor and the sheriff also attended. Uh, the meeting's entire purpose was to discuss what the town could legally do to keep McElroy from harming anyone else. Okay. One of the attendees later stated of the meeting, quote, We simply felt that the system had failed us. We all knew that uh, what McElroy was like, and there he was. Again and again, it seemed like nobody could stop him yep the, the county sheriff dan eastis only suggestion form a neighborhood watch what the fuck is a neighborhood watch gonna do slash his goddamn tires how about that
1: let's start there and work our <laughs> way up
0: i'll do you one better The meeting adjourned and all 60 attendees crossed over to the D&G Tavern where McElroy was drinking and flanked his truck in the parking lot. Which, by the way, Trina was sitting in, waiting on him. Oh, no. Some even went into the bar, waiting on him to finish his drinks. And when McElroy finished, he walked past the crowd got in his truck and lit a cigarette. Like, the balls on this band. He knows they're watching him. There's 60 fucking people out there. And he's just like, ha, 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 ha. And gets in his car and lights a cigarette. This is what happens when people don't have consequences. <laughs> so Trina claims that while he lit his cig, she turned around and looked over her shoulder to see someone raise a wi- rifle and take aim at McElroy. Mm-hmm. The shots were fired, shattering the back window of the truck. Trina d- dove from the vehicle onto the pavement and was picked up by a man named Jack Clement, who walked her calmly towards the bank for safety. Okay. McElroy was hit twice, killing him instantly. Thank some deity that, sh- that is appropriate to thank for that and is not Jesus. <laughs> Bullet casings from two different guns were found. Hitty. none of the witnesses all 60 of them called an ambulance <laughs> <laughs> why, why would you why would just, you just like looking at him going not yet mm-hmm. <laughs> give it just a minute <laughs> hey, hey Jerry double tap make sure <laughs> no officer I didn't see anything uh, no, sir. so and that's exactly what happened. No one would come forward in the investigation that followed. 60 people watched this murder happen. Yep. Cheryl Houston, the daughter of Bobo and Camp, witnessed the shooting from her family store. She said, quote, once the shroud of silence fell, there was going to be no one talking. They could have pushed and dug, pushed and dug and gotten nothing. Agreed. Okay. We were so bitter and so angry at the law letting us down that it came to somebody taking matters into their own hands. No one has any idea what a nightmare we lived.
1: No, because you just watched somebody get away with literal attempted murder, and he's gotten away with 53 felonies across 40 years, and you people Mm -hmm. haven't done jack shit at that point. Mm -hmm. I don't blame you. Y'all are good. Right. Go... Go live your lives peacefully.
0: (laughs) So the only suspect identified by Trina was Dell Clement, a part-time owner or a part-owner of the D&G Tavern. Clement denied the charge and no other witnesses came forward. (laughs) The DA and the coroner's jury didn't order an arrest, warrant, or press charges. And Clement passed away in 2009. Good. Good enough. (laughs) And that is the story. Everybody was like... No, you're fine. Yeah. No, you're, yep. you're good.
1: What the fuck happened to his lawyer? Where did he go? I need to have a discussion with this man. <laughs> you do know, to tell me that motherfucker passed the MPRE? Are you shitting me?
0: <laughs> of course he passed the MPRE. Eat dicks, sir. And then sir. he went on and lived as he was going to live before he had to study fake questions for a fake test. <laughs> We can lie, Julia. <laughs> so angry. Uh, so good. That, okay. that is the story of uh, the murder of McElroy. Ken McElroy. And I got my sources from BuzzFeed Unsolved, who did a great episode on it. Uh, 60 minutes, and <laughs> I thought of 66 minutes at first. I was like, there's no 66 minutes. <laughs> and also Wikipedia. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank so, you. um... Justifiable homicide, is it a thing? <laughs> is it not?
1: Listen, personally, I think it's a thing. I don't know if this was a circumstance for it, but I think it was.
0: <laughs> and clearly, it's yeah. treated as justifiable homicide, because... Yeah, the whole town was pretty much just like, alright, then that happened. Literally everybody was fine with it. Yeah. The whole town was there to witness it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, and we're not talking about, like, justifiable homicide as it is in the news currently where there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. Yes. Uh, This seems pretty cut and dry.
0: Yeah. It's all good. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So that's my story. Thanks. Your story was much wilder. It was, it, it was a little twisty-turny. <laughs> it had some stuff going on. Oh, good lord. I don't understand how it was allowed to go on for as long, I, as, long as it was allowed I don't to go either. on either. And like don't get me wrong, like I love my siblings, but if like if I came home one day and like Jake had bodies and <laughs> If Jake had bodies in his basement, and be like, all right, so we're going to talk to a lawyer. Right? Like, if I,
1: <laughs> for some reason, went to go visit Cody, my Cody, my nephew, yeah, and I found a literal pile of bodies in his house,
0: I love that boy to pieces. Right. We would have to have a talk. <laughs> right? It's like, all right, so I can't. This can't go on. <laughs> oh my god, no. Yeah, I don't understand. No. Nope. Yep. I don't think I love anybody enough to 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 go into like double homicide. <laughs> nope. I literally no. I was like,
1: no, maybe like I might do it for like my mom, but like that's not going to be an issue in my life.
0: Oh. No, I'd do it for Mama. Yeah. Like, maybe.
1: Hopefully we won't have this come up and it's not going to be a dilemma that we have to actually wrestle with. whole cool question.
0: How many of you <laughs> would go into homicide with somebody? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, with that question, just let that simmer in. Let us know. Yep. <laughs> Awesome. Tell us where they can find us and let us know. All right. Uh,
1: you can find us on Instagram at What's in Your Hometown. You can find us on Twitter at W I Y H T. If you would like to write into us with any suggestions of your own, uh, you can email us at What's in Your Hometown at gmail.com. You can find us everywhere that you find the civilized creatures, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And uh, yeah, no, that's that's us. So Julia with all the weird
0: shit in the world. Yep. If you're not too tired (laughs) you have to wonder.
1: What is in your hometown?
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.